Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, folks. Believe in Rams, episode 149. I'm Jake Ellenberg, and joining me as always is Cameron Lynch. And uh, we're here to bring you our last post-game podcast of the season. Not the year, because it is 2023, so technically there will be another one this year. But... Uh, we appreciate you guys so much before we get into it, appreciate you guys so much for sticking with us, uh, for supporting us. We see your comments and, you know, trust me, we definitely see them. We've seen a lot of very <laughs> positive stuff and, you know, I'm lucky to be doing this with Cam. So as we close out the season, I just have to say thank you to you guys. Uh, you know, you're, you're what makes, you know, you're what really have pushed this, uh, forward. It, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, we don't plan on stopping. Um, so with that said, if you, you know, like what you hear at any point in this video, be sure to subscribe, like, comment, rate, review, all that jazz. Um, but we'll get right into the ad read. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores. For almost any sport or game imaginable, with the fastest, easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events, head on over to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. So Cam, burning question, how we always start this thing off. What should, okay, should, very important, what you want, okay, what, what you <laughs> think they should do. What should the Rams do this offseason if Sean McVay stays? And what should they do this offseason if McVay leaves? So I know we always talk about this, Jake, the next man up mentality, next man up league. And I don't think we apply that specifically in the situation. Um, and even we go back to the DeMar Hamlin situation, right? Like, you know, who's, in, who's the next safety that's going to step in for DeMar Hamlin? I think being sensitive around these issues are very important. Right. I know we, we started our podcast off the past two of them with DeMar Hamlin and kind of what that looked like. We're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. You know, what, what Sean McVay is going through, I don't think this is a next man up scenario. Um, I think we have to take it very ser serious when it comes to his his mental health, right? His health and wellness, right? We talk about player safety all the time. What about co coaches' safety? What does that look like? You know, he he's a young guy. He's taking on a lot. And so I think preparing regardless of whether he decides to stay or not preparing his coaching staff right to bolster up when, when one person goes down the next person needs to go up and i think that's just a support i wouldn't say that's the next man up thing but the other men that are up for the opportunity if sean McVay does decide to leave right i think you mentioned it thomas brown right that's one of your guys that you're really looking forward to and then raheem morris on the defensive side i think we talked about this uh, a couple of days ago, but who we would like to see take those next steps. So I wouldn't say the next man up, Jake, because the man's going through some stuff. You know, it's been a losing season. We've been going through some stuff, right? Just the podcast. I'm like, dang, we're coming back every week to chat about this team that we love. Like, imagine a coach doing that, right? Just not going the way he wanted it to go. And so really being sensitive around kind of where he is mentally, you know, physically, spiritually, to make sure that he's back next year and that he's healthy. And so I wouldn't say it's a next man up thing, but prepare Thomas Brown, prepare Raheem Morris, 
to handle those duties, regardless if Sean McVay is there or not. Getting those guys reps as head coaches for the Rams, I think is going to be really important and experiencing the same thing that Sean experiences. So let's say he is back next year and he's going through a funk or he's doing the same thing over and over again, running the same couple of plays. You know, his assistant head coaches or the people that are preparing for this role can be like, hey, man, like I know we're reverting back to the, some of the things that we used to do. But like, remember, we talked about this in the offseason. Let's go in this direction if we know that we're getting down the same path that we did last year. And so not next man up, essentially, but preparing everyone to take on that head coaching role if they need to. Yeah. So, Cam, when, you know, I take a look at this two part question I put together, um, you know, I, I think of you know, anytime you're making a decision, you have to understand both sides of the decision. You have to understand why would Sean McVay do this and why would Sean McVay not do this? Uh, obviously, the not, you have, you know, potentially Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, and Bobby Wagner. You have a big five core group of guys. You got some young talent that you, you have to be excited about the way they ended the season, um, you know, and Cam Akers and, you know, Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson. Uh, you know, you look at the de the defense. I mean, Ernest Jones just had one of his best games, I thought, um, you know, against Seattle. So, you know, you look at all that. Um, you look at the coaches that you could potentially be bringing back. You have unlimited funding because you don't have an owner that's scared to spend money. Uh, you got a great, you know, relationship uh, with your GM, a GM that's not afraid to go out and do it, you know. And uh, you got a great, you know, organization, uh, location, you know, L.A., uh, stadium. I mean, there's a lot to like, you know, you're, you're the endorsement deals, you know, because now you're the Campbell's chunky spokesman, you know, all that. Yeah. Um, but then the, the negatives, which, you know, would be like, all right, you're 36 years old, you know, uh, you want to start a family. Now you're like, do I want to have kids while I'm doing this? You push how, you know, late you're going to have kids and you know, all that. Um, you know, also, do you like if you're having a work life balance issue or rather, you know, an imbalance, um, you know, then this kind of gives you that opportunity to kind of just take a little bit of a break. Um, you know, in addition to that, I, I think stress is such a real killer in, in the world. And I don't think people realize that. Um, so, you know, I think there's definitely... You, like Sean McVay has seen it. John Gruden did it, you know, who was one of his mentors. Um, you know, Dick Vermeil has done it, um, who, you know, I've spoken with personally. Uh, they, they've had conversations, you know, and I'm sure Vermeil told Sean how it went, you know. Um, so, I mean, I think when you had those people around you, there's definitely a possibility like, th this is real. I mean, what I was told is that he wasn't leaving, but that was before everything that came out. And then we t we talked about on the podcast a little bit, um, reporting it basically as news that, like, this is where I want to be. And now we hear all sorts of stuff. So it's like, I don't know. There's probably something in the middle. I don't think Sean McVay right now, Cam, knows what he wants to do. But I'll tell you, what the Rams should do this offseason if McVay stays is be like, Sean we don't want to be telling you, you don't have a choice, but we need you to find a play caller because I, I mean, you know, we're sitting here like watching you go and just stress yourself out. You know, he basically parted ways with Wade Phillips. And in a lot of ways that was kind of like, you know, taking off the training wheels. He wanted to have more 
uh, stock into the defense, right. And, and be less of just an offensive play caller and be a more of a, you know, all around coach. Um, when he got rid of Joe Barry, you know, who was his, you know, assistant head coach, that was him again, taking off the training wheels. There's not a ton of experience on that coaching staff. That's more than what Sean McVay has. And so, you know, I do think if McVay stays Cliff Kingsbury, who was fired by the Arizona Cardinals or Frank Reich, who was fired by the Indianapolis Colts um, earlier in the year. I think they got to give one of those guys the reins to call plays. Um, I think you have a chance now with both of those guys, you know, they can add some challenging things to Sean McVay where like now he, you know, they challenge him on his offensive philosophies. They add things, they collaborate, uh, maybe use like, you know, you look at the usage in the passing game for the running backs. I think both guys would bolster that usage. I think all of a sudden Kyron Williams stock goes up. I think Cam Akers stock goes up. Um, if McVay leaves, then it's a whole different thing. Personally, I think I'm going to stop the bleeding right away. I'm going to keep everything familiar for the players and I'm going to hire coach Thomas Brown to be the head coach. I think he's a leader of men. He kind of reminds me very similar to a Harbaugh or a Tomlin uh, where a guy that doesn't necessarily have to call the plays doesn't have to be the offensive defense guru, but just knows how to be a team leader. And when I'm listening to him, I've been listening to a lot of his uh, interviews lately um, going through. He had an interview on ESPN. Uh, you know, I think it was e or ES no LA NBC LA. I think it was, um, he had a really good interview on that. Uh, you know, watching him pick apart different plays and like break them down. He knows his stuff. Okay. And if Sean McVay and, you know, says this is a guy that challenges me and, and forces me to be better, then you got to listen. So for me, Cam, uh, play caller, if he stays yet, you hire one. And if he leaves, I think you go with Thomas Brown at head coach. I think offensive coordinator, you promote uh, Zach Robinson. And I think defensive coordinator, you go with uh, Raheem Morris. Um, maybe you even go with Raheem Morris as head coach and you figure that out. But I think you'd have to keep it kind of close to what the players know, because this isn't unlike what Mike Florio said on NBC. This is not a rebuild. Okay, this could be a rebuild if they decide to blow it up. But as of right now, to call it a rebuild is just irresponsible reporting. It's not a rebuild. Yeah, I agree. And Jake, I think you mentioned it. You said stress is one of the biggest killers, right? Um, and one thing I want to mention, too, is like I think we all go through it personally where we have so much on our plate and we're just doing too much. For an example, my partner, my fiance. She feels like she's superwoman. She feels like she can, you know, do some dinner. She can handle her job, handle two businesses that she has. I'm like, hey, why don't you just ask her for some support? Let me know where I can support you and I can make your life a lot easier, right? Where you're spinning multiple plates and like you can get it done, but how effective can you be? And I think like you mentioned, Sean McVay taking off some of those training wheels and taking over defensive play calling, taking over offensive play calling. Well, at some point, it becomes too much, right? Like Sean McVay Strong, he's one of the, the smartest folks, smartest folks in the sports industry, not just football, just sports industry in general. And he probably feels like he has to handle a lot and he really doesn't. And so, like you said, passing off some of those duties, making the, that load a little bit lighter so he can enjoy his family when he gets home, right? And not thinking of offensive plays and defensive plays to make his team win. That's why you hire great people so they can do that. <laughs> it's reclaiming his time, reclaiming 
his self-care. Because I think at the end of the day, that's all this is. It's really a self-care play, a self-care move. I know we're hearing a lot of noise. Will he go? Will he stay? And Sean's probably just like, man, I just want to go on paternity leave, right? I just want to make sure that I can take care of my family and take care of myself. And it's hard to take care of, of other people when you can't take care of yourself, Jake. You know the saying, too, when you get on the airplane, they say, put your mask on first and then help the person next to you. Sean McVay can't help anyone on his team unless he takes care of himself. And I think that's the first and most important thing he needs to do. Yeah, see, I, Cam, I feel like one thing that I will say as to why I think Sean McVay should stay is I think he should exercise that ability to potentially see, f- figure this thing out, you know, feel it out with, you know, some stuff off your plate, you know, don't necessarily just give up for a year. Uh, like just give it an opportunity here. Cliff Kingsbury was at your wedding, right? So like maybe you feel comfortable making him your offensive coordinator. He handles the plays. You trust him. You have Raheem Morris, that defense and all those guys coming back. Aaron Donald probably comes back guaranteed if, if Sean McVay does. Uh, Stafford already said he's not going anywhere, regardless if it's Sean McVay there or Sean McVay is gone. Uh, so you have to feel good about the pieces that are in place And what you can't do, and we've talked about this throughout the year, but you can't overreact to this season. It was a bad year, but if you don't, you know, take into account the 15, 16 guys they had to play on the offensive line, which was like setting an NFL record. If you don't take into account the injuries, losing Cooper Cup, I mean, the guy had like 800 yards in like the first seven or eight games, and then he's gone for the year. You know, if you don't take into account that Cooper Cup you know, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and these guys are still playing that hard for you at the end of the season with nothing to play for. I don't think you're doing a good enough job of evaluating your situation. So I think McVay's going through a lot. I think he has a lot to think about. Um, I think it's got gotten away from just, he's going to leave for Amazon. He's going to leave for a TV, you know, a TV deal. And I think it's now more about maybe he doesn't want to do any of that. Maybe he just needs a break. And if that's the case, I would say at least exercise your ability to take away some play calling, take away, you know, take things off your plate and just allow you to go back to loving the game, loving, you know, coaching the game and just go back to doing what you do best in leading. I understand he's a fantastic offensive mind, but he's a fantastic offensive play designer. I think the play calling has gotten stale. I'll say that. I think the play calling has gotten very stale. And I think that's what happens when you surround yourself with the same guys. I think Sean McVay also, um, what I will say, Cam, and this might be a little controversial, but I think Sean McVay is focused more on building up other guys' careers, which I don't think is a bad thing. But I think he's focused so much on giving these guys opportunity, building them up, developing them, instead of going out and getting, you know, an older veteran uh, guy that can take on the play calling duties. Like you want to prop up a Zach Taylor. You want to prop up, you know, a Kevin O'Connell, you know, a Shane Waldron, if you will. Um, But you're not doing yourself any favors because now it's all this onboarding every year, you know? And so you're constantly bringing these guys in. You have to onboard them to your process. And then, you know, in addition to that, you know, maybe you learned some things from them. Now you're changing things. It's just a whole big thing. So if you lose a Thomas Brown this offseason, you now have to go and find a new assistant head coach. You have to find a new guy that you can trust. It's one of those things, though, where I feel like if he just went with somebody, Frank Reich, I'm not saying will never be a head coach again, but I feel like he's way better as a coordinator, okay? And so if he goes out and gets Frank Reich, 
I don't feel like you have to worry as much about him going out and finding another head coaching job. Not saying that that's what Sean McVay wants, but I feel like that's what he should want. He should want some stability. He owes it to himself to have that stability. I agree. I, I agree there. And, you know, what you mentioned, some coaches are better as coordinators than head coaches, right? And so that's what people do in business in general, right? They hire people that are better than them in a certain space. They handle that certain project and then they create time for themselves to do other things. And, you know, did this year, was that too too much micromanaging? You know, I know many times in this podcast, we were like, hey, Sean, I need to pass the six, the sticks here because <laughs> it's not working out. So is a Cliffs Kingsbury, you know, he's not, He's not a head coach right now. So I'm sure him and Sean are going to be together in the offseason, maybe in Arizona, in L.A., sitting back and just reflecting. And it's, you know, taking notes for for Cliffs. Like, hey, like, you know, what went wrong? What went well? Um, what did you see that I did wrong? Right? What did you see that I did well? And really having that reflection moment. I think you mentioned that on the last podcast is going around and taking notes, seeing what uh, Shanahan is doing, you know, at uh, the 49ers and what different people are doing. You know, my big question is Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban is always kicking out high-level coaches, Kirby Smart, different people that are winning championships, are head coaches in the NFL and in different colleges. I wonder if Sean McVay were to sit down with guys like him and understand how he handles that, right? You mentioned the onboarding piece. That could get tiring, right? Developing talent all the time. It goes back to that that saying goes, you know, putting your mask on first and then helping other people. He's putting the mask on developing these other coaches before putting it on himself. And like you said, maybe that mask for himself might be, be getting an uh, older gentleman or older gal that knows the sport, knows the offense and defense, the special teams really well, and is running with that. So it, I, I like I think like you mentioned, it, it's a lot of it is just taking care of himself rather than thinking about other people at this moment because he has a franchise. He has a fan base that that wants to see him win. And what he's done so far this past year, it just hasn't been working. So we definitely need to see, need to see something different and, and some change here. I absolutely agree, Cam. <clears throat> you know, I think uh, it is time to get to the game and then we'll probably we'll circle back and, you know, kind of just talk about the news a little bit to wrap it up. But mm -hmm. um, game balls, that's your segment you created. So Look, I know it was a loss. I know they only scored 16 points. I do think it was so fitting to end the season the way they did. Overtime, uh, you know, just basically wrestling with the, you know, the jaws of, of victory and, and, you know, wrestling out a defeat like that. Um, just brutal, brutal end to the, the season, but it does really encapsulate what we've watched. And uh, look, <laughs> the goal was going into the year that Raheem Morris holds teams, his defense holds teams to under 20 points. And of course, the last game of the year, they held them to under 20 points and they only scored 16. And that perfectly describes, it, it, it's the perfect example of what this season has been. The mm -hmm. offense hasn't pulled their weight. They haven't done enough. And the defense once again gave them every opportunity to win the game. And whether that has to do with, with Sean McVay or not doesn't matter. It's about the results. And that's unfortunately what we saw. Yeah. And, you know, you can't. And also, too, it's like the offense not pulling through. The defense started off super strong. I know we're talking about the game balls and the X factors. Okay. Jalen Ramsey. I think we talked about this, right? The, the big playmakers are going to show up during big games. Last game of the season. First play of the game. Jalen Ramsey goes off, right? 
Jalen Ramsey had a lot of great moments and he had some poor moments within this game. Uh, going back to the flag where he like chucks Gino and Gino falls on his back. And I know with the referees and everything like that, we can definitely talk talk about that. But Jalen oh, Ramsey, boy. yeah, he yeah. <laughs> he's like, trust me. But, you know, Jalen Ramsey, just the way he played, the way he showed up. That's that's what we want to see there. And so seeing Jalen Ramsey ball out, that was really cool. Seeing him, Kenneth Walker had one play where he almost scored in the end zone with two minutes left. And Jalen Ramsey hawked this man down. And I was like, dude, this dude Jalen Ramsey is going all out. And that's something you want to see with all the players uh, uh, for, for the Rams. And so Jalen Ramsey definitely gets my first game ball on the defensive side. Um, and then the offensive side, I'll definitely go to my guy, um, uh, Van Jefferson, you know, B- BPV, um, just consistent. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back at my notes and that he just consistent, always catching that football, always open. And there weren't the big sexy plays, but there were a lot of plays that he converted first downs, 15 yard catches, 16 yard catches. And so he did really well this game. Um, you know, uh, shout out to those guys and we'd love to hear your game ball, game ball folks as well. Well, Cam, I have to point out also your guy Van, I mean, if Baker puts that on him, the game's over. He's walking into the end zone. So, yeah, I thought he played well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two two out well. How about him coming down with a touchdown? Yeah. Uh, it was on a reverse. I don't know why they don't run it more with him. <laughs> I I just don't know why. But uh, yeah, you already gave it to to um, you know uh, Jalen Ramsey. I'm gonna give it to Quentin Lake. How about Quentin Lake coming in in a pinch? Rookie sixth round pick has gotten no playing time in the defense. I know I get it. He dropped an interception. Uh, yeah. And it, <laughs> it it's probably the game, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we can pinpoint, you know, if they don't, we won't get into the referees yet. We will, but not now. <laughs> um, but I'll hold that. But Quentin Lake, a sack, a tackle for a loss leader in tackles with eight. He had to come in in a pinch. Um, you know, unfortunately his teammate, Russ East suffered, what thankfully wasn't a DeMar Hamlin like injury, but um, you know, a, a was it a pulmonary contusion? That sounds horrible. Anytime someone goes down now, Jake, like it makes me a little bit nervous. Like every time now, and I wonder what the players feel, you know, when they see a guy go down, they're yeah. like, wait, are we going to go through this again? Like it's crazy. I, I know. And uh, I mean, Sean McVay didn't even see it. I didn't see it. I don't know if you saw it, but I, I heard about it. Um, you know, he he's in stable condition. Like he he's doing okay. So that's good. But, you know, hate it for Rust East, uh, a guy who gets a chance to start with Nick Scott out. Huge opportunity for him. And he goes down early on. Uh, Taylor Rapp played one of his best games of the year. Yeah. <clears throat> he also went down uh, with an injury, but came back um, as I continue to lose my voice. But Quentin Lake, game ball to him because he came in in a pinch. And he comes away with what really would have been an interception if he doesn't look back and think about what he's going to do after the ball. Yeah, uh, I've seen that before, so it's not like anything new. But he comes away with the sack, leader in tackles. I think he had himself a really good game. And then, uh, you know, all things considering. And then Cam Akers. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah. 21 carries, 104 yards, uh, three catches for 24. If they just kept feeding Cam this game doesn't end up being a loss. I mean, I think that Sean McVay got really carried away in overtime when they got the ball back. They didn't need a touchdown. They just needed a field goal Mm -hmm. because Seattle starts with the ball. 
defense gets a huge three and out. Okay. And then the Rams get the ball and they throw an interception and you have to read the room. I know you want to hope Baker has the, the energy, like the arm strength to get that to him. I'm not saying he doesn't on a good day. This wasn't a good day. Like Baker woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something because like he was not the same quarterback. He struggled. I mean, even when he had time, he was missing his throws. You have to read that. He had 147 yards in this game and he get he got to play in pretty much five quarters. So when you take that into account, you have to see like, okay, he doesn't have it today. We're going to have to, you know, just ride the, the coattails of Cam Akers in this one who does have it today. He's had it the last three weeks, like, he had a 32 you know, yard run. Like he had already made, he'd put pressure on Seattle. So I'm going to give him the game ball as well as Quentin Lake. Um, but man, it just bothered me. They didn't really run the ball with Cam Akers in overtime. Cause I just don't think Seattle would have stopped him. I really don't. And, and that's what, and that's what Seattle did. They ran the ball in overtime over and over. Kenneth Walker had like eight consecutive runs in overtime and they kept, they kept moving that line of scrimmage back and back. I know Troy Hill missed a tackle against them, got pushed back for a first down against Your X them. Factor, Parkinson, 32 Park. yards. Nasty. I mean, and I I figured that, right? DJ Metcalf, he didn't really go off as much as we thought he would. Uh, but Parkinson, he did, right? Or sorry, I don't want to say he did go off, but he blocked really well. Tyler Lockett played, you know, played his butt off. So it just like you said. Just the running game. I wish we ran the ball a little bit more. Kenneth Walker had 29 uh, runs for 114 yards. Like uh, Cam Akers only had 21. The Seahawks won because they just ran the ball a little bit better than the Rams did. Threw the ball just a little bit better than the Rams did. So that's just unfortunate, like you mentioned, Jake. Um, And then also to someone else, uh, I think that we have to call out as well. I mean, Bobby Wagner, of course, like, you know, he, he just continues to show up week in and week out. Um, and I don't know if I saw it as good as I, I needed to in the beginning of the year, but now we're really seeing it, um, just his leadership and what he brings to the table. So I'm excited to what, you know, what he's going to do next year. And another thing, too, I know that we played the Broncos. We gave the offensive line the game ball. That's the way they were playing. These past couple of weeks after that Broncos game, Man, I mean, Baker's been running for his life, Jake. I mean, I, I think we talked yeah. about it. Seattle was going to get after him, and I they they really got after him. I mean, I feel like every snap that we saw, Baker was running for his life, you know? And so hopefully this offseason, we can figure out how to get that locked in because Cam Akers is coming along. I think you mentioned it. This is the prime Cam Akers, um, and if we see him do this again next year, he could, he could be offensive player of the year. I mean, it's the way he's running that football, but – I think this offensive line, we got to get that straight, man, because no one can operate if they have zero time to throw the ball, man. It, it's, it's just frustrating to see. And I think you always talk about it, that link. You have a paper link, the the strong steel link, it starts to dissolve <laughs> and it falls in. We're just seeing the one about The one made of macaroni. <laughs> Macar- nerd rope. Yeah, all that. I mean, hey, you know, however you want to cut it, but th- that's just not going to do it. The offensive line, the way that no. they protect it, it's not going to get the job done. No, I agree with you on, um, you know, I came away once again, impressed with Cam Akers making quick decisions, very confused why we didn't see Kyron Williams, a five and 12 football team playing 
you know, their last game of the year and you're not playing your, you know, fifth round running back that you trade up to get that you've been using. Uh, really confusing there. I understand you got to let Cam Akers, you know, ride with him. And I'm not anti Cam Akers by any stretch. I'm actually very high on him right now because he once again, back to back to back hundred yard games. Um, but, you know, I was a little concerned about, you know, not playing Kyron. I, I think he can definitely be a weapon. Uh, you know, one thing I, I have to say is that I think the the big issue in this game was when Ty Inseki, the left tackle, uh, went down with that wrist injury. Uh, because then all of a sudden, now you put in the rookie seventh rounder, A.J. R. Curry, who's barely played this year, and now he's playing uh, you know, left tackle. I think that's when really everything started to kind of crumble for the offense. But even still, you know, the offense was able to somewhat move the ball with acres. They should have done that more. And I just, I have to go back to it. Cause I know this was probably a Liam Cohen play. This was very collegey type of <laughs> offensive play call. And I just hated it, man, because you know, you're, and I don't remember exactly where it is in the game. Um, but it was late in the game. And it's like third down and manageable. And I think they, they settled for the field goal. I want to say it was probably right around the second quarter. Um, they sell for a field goal. And it was just so frustrating because you're at like third and manageable here. You got to get a touchdown this drive, in my opinion. And you have Baker run a quarterback keeper on third and five. Like this isn't you know, like Baker is not Lamar Jackson, mm -mm. like Baker's fast in college. Then he gets the NFL and he's like faster than most of the quarterbacks in the league, but that doesn't make him fast enough to outrun a Yucheno Nwosu at a four or five speed. That doesn't make him fast enough to outrun any of those guys, to be honest with you. So, you know, when you run a quarterback keeper, on third and five, I just don't know what you're thinking there. And it's like to the right side, it's a stretch run. It's just bad. It just takes the ball out of Aker's hands for nothing. And I just, yeah. I felt like it was just a stupid play call uh, that just reeked of college, you know, <laughs> aspect of it. And I hate to be anti-college, you know, college play calling, but like, can we just get that shit out of here for a sec? Like, when it, it works at times, Cam. It does. You know, the RPOs, things like that. But, like, the, the the why are you third and five? Why is Baker Mayfield running the ball? I, yeah. I mean, you, he's running for his life, as you just said. So why don't we just put him in more harm's way and let's have him run into the guys instead of running away from them? Yeah. It just, it didn't feel like, it made no sense. It, yeah. it still bothers me, and as you can tell. Yeah, and after, one thing I wrote down in my notes too, after the Jalen Ramsey interception, the Rams had to settle for another field goal. And it's like, dude, this is, this is, you have to convert those, right? You have to be able to score those. And thankfully the Rams in the next, in the next series stopped Seattle Seahawks from scoring and they had to settle for a field goal as well. So they combated that, but for teams to win, like you want the defense to turn, the, to get turnovers. I think we talked about this last podcast. I said, remember he Morris, he's cool, but like, I want to see more turnovers. Quentin Lake almost has one. Jalen Ramsey has two, like these guys are starting to cook. And then the offense, you have to, Come on, you gotta you gotta be able to capitalize on that. And like you said, that's just college stuff, right? Where in college, Ugh. you know, you get to the end zone and you don't score, you kick a field goal, and this happens over and over again. You see the punter a lot, like 
We shouldn't have to see Riley Dixon all the time. You know, Matt Gay shouldn't have to break the single season field goal kicking record because he should have been scoring rather than, you know, he should be kicking an extra point and not a field goal. So, like, there's just so many things to that point that you just said where it feel, felt really college-esque. And the fact that they can't punch in the football when you're on the 30 yard, 20 yard line after an interception with that momentum, with the Cam Akers, with the Kyron Williams, like Malcolm Brown, even, right? Like, even the last week we saw Malcolm Brown scoring that far out in the red zone. So it's, like I said, it's just confusing. And, you know, Sean McVay's gonna have to, a lot of reflection to do. He's gonna have time to do it. Bring in a guy that can call some plays and score some touchdowns. Please run the ball, score score touchdowns so the defense, they can move on with their life. Because Aaron Donald, this is going to be so much where he's going to be like, hey, dude, like we're playing our butt off here on defense. You know, the guys are following my lead and we're just not converting. We're not scoring. There's no. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jake. <laughs> we're, all, we're both frustrated on this side when it comes to the offense and the, and the Rams. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I it, You said it best. I just. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not anti, again, I'm not anti-college, you know, throwing some, some wrinkles in the offense that, you know, but I just don't like the, don't do design quarterback runs on third down. Maybe do it on first, maybe do it on second. Do not do it on third. Not when you have cam makers. Okay. Yeah. Like don't do it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's stupid. They can't stop the run. So now you're going to give him an opportunity to stop the run. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> That's why he's, so, he's going to Kentucky. He's going to Kentucky, right? He's going to a different place. So it's, I think we'll just move on from the offensive yeah, play call yeah, and on, on to the next. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, definitely frustrating. Right. You know, but at the same time, I really appreciate the way they fought, you know, they, they fought to, to win this game. They really left it all on the field. I thought the defense did a really good job. I mean, getting that stop in overtime when you're already so damn exhausted, you know, um, that's why I don't hold anything against them, you know, after that. Because there were people like, oh, once again, defense failed. I'm like, the defense didn't fail. If you give up 19 points in five quarters, basically, you didn't fail. You know, it, it like they didn't get the job done. They lost. Yeah, they lost because the offense only scored 16. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like against Seattle. I, I mean, you know, and then that's one of the the, the frustrating things, Cam, because I mean, I, I hate to be that guy, but this Seattle Seahawks team, they're they're not going anywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, they're let's not. talk let's talk about that, Jake. Ooh, how are you feeling Ugh. about 49ers Seahawks playoffs? How how are you feeling about that? Well, I mean, I think the 49ers should be 20 point favorites. I, I mean, I think they're the best team in the NFL uh, mm -hmm. is sad as that is to say on a Rams <laughs> podcast, but they're the best team in the NFL. And I'm sorry, but I just don't think Seattle deserves credit because they're way better than I expected. And I expected them to be better than the Cardinals. Um, but like, can we stop going crazy for Geno Smith? Look, I think he deserves credit. But he played like crap against the Rams. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was not Geno. That was my X factor, Kenneth Walker. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. was the, you know, the defense making it. And honestly, you know, the, the taunting, you know, thing, they didn't call it. And I'm not going to argue about them calling taunting, right? I'm not going to be the one like, oh, they didn't call it taunting penalty. They shouldn't call it taunting penalty. But uh, Quandre Diggs picking that off and then pointing at Bobby Wagner. First off, why are you doing that? 
Bobby Wagner is a beloved player for Seattle. Mm -hmm. That felt like showing up a guy who has given his all to this city. In Seattle, you do that. The second thing, you were burned. You were burned to a crisp. <laughs> yeah. You know, BPV is way over your head. Yeah. The, the game is over, my man. You got the interception because Baker underthrew him about 10 yards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not celebrating like showing up the other team if I'm doing like, are you kidding me? I'm counting my lucky stars being like, all right, let's get it. You know, yeah. now just give the ball to Kenneth Walker and let's get out of here and let's potentially go to the playoffs. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Not like take it, Bobby Wagner. Like, that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. Condra Dix. And I saw him. I saw him raise his hands after another interception that he had. I think that's just a habit he has. Bobby Wagner, I feel like, happened to be right there where he pointed at somebody and he saw Bobby. Like, I'm not sure, like, before the snap, he's like, okay, Bobby's right here. I'm going to pick this ball off when I see Bobby. I'm going to point the paw. You know, I think it just That'd be happened. weird. That'd be, that'd be very weird. I, I think it like, just happened. Like, bro, maybe yeah. living rent-free in his head. I mean, my God. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you do that before a play, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this off and I'm going to go over the sideline. I'm going to, like, why are you thinking like that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's they're very different. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, with that game ceiling interception um, after that, like we, we mentioned before, you know, Seattle just ran the ball. Kenneth Walker, your X factor. They just ran the ball. Um, and, you know, we talk about game balls for the for the Rams, you know, going to the, the Seahawks side, you know, Kenneth Walker went off. Uh, Kobe Parkinson, of course, his blocking was excellent. He had some big catches. And then Tyler Lockett, I mean. You know, Gino threw him a bomb in the back of the end zone that I thought was a dang good play. I mean, you know, hats off to Kobe. I mean, hats off to uh, Tyler Lockett. I think you talked about him being a Rams killer. Like, I think that play was like, oh, he he might be that, you know, that you just stamp him. Rams killer. But um, yeah, Jake, it's tough. You know, to be honest, going to the playoffs, I'm not sure how the Seahawks are going to do if like they're keeping a the game this close to the Rams. And the Rams, we've kept everybody <laughs> close. But, like, if they're struggling with the Rams, they're going to have a hard time with the 49ers. And like you said, I think the 49ers, they have the best bet to, you know, take it really far. I know they have to see the, they have to see the Buccaneers. Uh, so, you know, Tom Brady in the playoffs can always be dangerous no matter how well or bad that, they, that they've been playing. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. But the Seahawks, you know, I see their last stop being uh, – against the 49ers and Jake, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the, the lions game for them to actually get into the playoffs, the lions versus the Packers. Oh. But that was, <laughs> that was insane. That was so frustrating because it went exactly how I expected it. And I just, all I kept thinking is, wow, what team on the field right now looks like they belong in the playoffs? Well, I'll tell you, it's not the team in green. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, they, they had everything going for them. They're, they had the cold, that environment they're used to, you know, Detroit. Yeah, they're, they're in the cold too, but Detroit plays in that dome, you know, mm -hmm. that I think works well with their air raid style offense, their, their high octane passing attack and, and run game. But, you know, I thought Ben Johnson called a, complete game on the offensive side. I thought Jared Goff made the throws he needed to make, um, you know, Jamal Williams. I mean, the guy, he's just awesome. I love yeah. his colorful uh, personality. You know, the whole, he's, he's all into like anime. So he said something, you know, on the, uh, the intro or whatever. I forget what it was, but it's like first, yeah, first just, swag, Kazikage or something like that. It's, yeah. It, I, 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 I love a, anime too. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like a shout out to Naruto, I think it was. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it, I thought, I don't know. He just seems like a really likable guy. Um, but I, I will say, it, when you talk about the Rams and Seahawks game, I, you know, anytime you bring up the officials, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're instantly going to be called bias. But when I see NBC sports reporter who's got 200,000 followers, saying, wow, the refs put on a clinic. They missed this, they missed this, they missed this, they missed this, and somehow it all worked out for Seattle. And then I see the same thing with the CBS sports reporter, and I see the same thing from Seattle fans. They're like, wow, they gave us that one. I'm not saying it's rigged, so don't think that. But why is the co- <laughs> the head official, Cam, Craig Rolstad, is from Seattle. Mm. You know, it, there, there's a thing called a, and I already, I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's a thing called a conflict of interest. <laughs> and I think that'd be considered a conflict of interest. If you ask me a little bias so there. It, yeah. It's not even going to go. I'm not even going to go that, that route. Let's just talk about it for a sec. The roughing the kicker call where now apparently cam and you played special teams. Did you know that you could just shove a guy into a kicker and get a call every time and then you automatically get your offense back on the field? Yeah, that's I didn't know that. Yeah, that's I play punt a lot. And I know a lot of times you see a lot of times the gunners on the outside pushing their own player into the returner. Right. So, so they can fumble the ball a lot of times, too, is like you said, pushing some, sometimes pushing your own pushing your player into your own kicker. And then you get the flop like Seattle did to then get the call. It's. It's a, a lot of times the part of the savviness of, of a player, right? And so, yeah, the, these refs they didn't they didn't do a good job, Jake. <laughs> they got tricked. They, they got bamboo. They got bamboozled by these savvy Seattle Seahawks players, and they're just biased there, right? And and I do think, Jake, that that these refs that they're going to get points deducted, man. I mean, they're going to go to the NFL and they have, I believe, weekly to monthly, you know, meetings, and they're going to get points deducted. Like that's. That's unacceptable. Like you said, CBS, NBC, if they're seeing it, then the folks at the NFL are seeing it. And there's people that are watching each game and grading each referee. So guarantee these referees, you probably won't see them in the playoffs or these championship games because that was unacceptable. It was, it it was, it, it was. And, you know, and I know you're, see, here's the thing. Like I'm more, I'm close to the fan, although I am an analyst, but I'm close to the fan. And you played the game, so you have respect. You you respect the officials. You know you're an upstanding citizen, and you're way more of a a, a professional, if you will. You know what to say and what not to say. But even you were like, like we were texting, like, oh come on, man, they didn't yeah. just call that. Like, like come, come on. on, like yeah. you know, it's it it gets to that point. And the thing that sucks is because you know you as a Rams fan who's listening to this right now. Like you're probably be calling, you're being called biased. You're being called a crybaby. You're being called all that uh, at the water cooler on Discord or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, how is that fair? Because the people calling you that are the people that got the result they wanted. But if the uh, if it was the other way around, they would have been complaining. And another thing I have to say, Cam, is I'm really tired of hearing how well it's so rich that Rams fans are complaining about the refs when the NFC title game, bro. Uh. Bro, did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you watch when T. Higgins 
literally yanked Jalen Ramsey's face mask back and they didn't call it. And literally like nobody was around it. It was the most blatant and obvious thing ever. And they got a free 80 yard touchdown of it to come out of the half. Like nasty. I, I mean, eventually like we need to realize like the officiating was an all time low this year. It really, it was pathetic. Um, but if, if Seattle fans want to pull that card, let me introduce you to the fail Mary. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, what was that? You know, yeah. uh, but not, not getting too much into it. I just wanted to bring it up. I think it's fair to the people listening. They want to know that their voices have been heard and they have. And uh, you and I were both annoyed. Um, that's not entirely why the Rams lost the game. They had opportunities, but the game's probably over if they don't call that roughing the kicker. You know, but we don't know. Um, we just we know that they missed a bunch of calls in that game and they they were in very key moments um, where they all sided with Seattle after the third quarter. And when you have something like that, you're going to have people complaining. And I think people have a right to complain. Um, their team went five and 12 on the year. The only thing they were hoping for was just one meaningless win and to see a bet and the NFL lo loses too, because now it devalued your Sunday night football game, which is why I don't believe like people saying it's rigged. Why would the NFL want their Sunday night football game devalued? Would you rather have the lions versus the Packers playing for it all? Or would you rather have the, the lions playing for nothing and the Packers playing to make it? And then Seattle makes it and they don't even get to, they don't even play like that doesn't even make sense. So um, I don't, I don't think that, but I do think that at the end of the day, that Sunday night football game was exactly what the NFL would have wanted. And it meant less. And I hate it for Detroit fans. I hate it for Rams fans. And if that's Sean McVay's last game coached as a Ram, you know, as a Ram coach, that sucks too. Um, but you can't change it. And it is very fitting. Like I said, they lost 19 to 16 defense allows fewer than 20 points, which was the goal coming into the year. The offense scores 16 perfectly encapsulate what this season has been. But in addition to that, if matters couldn't be any crazier cam, they got, they had the exact opposite record as they had last year when they won the Super Bowl. they went 12 and five last year. And then they flip flopped and went five and 12 this year. Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. And I, I think Jake, you know, as we wind down this podcast, you know, getting to the end of the season, I think we wanted that, right? It's like, hey, let's get to the end of the season so we can, I want to say wipe this season clean, but really just learn from it. So it's nice to be at this point where, you know, we kind of stop the bleeding and we just lick our wounds and we, pre we prepare for next year and understand what that looks like. So, you know, it is tough. You know, one thing our coaches always tell us is don't let the referees beat you. Like, let your play, you know, take them out of the game, you know, fully. And I think at the end of the day, if the Rams had chances to do that and we just didn't. And that, like you said, it's indicative of our whole season. So let's just wipe this one clean, prepare for next year and see what that looks like. Um, you know, I know we wanted to chat about tomorrow a little bit kind of before we jumped off, but I think that was the biggest and the best part of this past Sunday was just seeing his progression, seeing him walk out of that hospital. Like life, life is great now. I know we took up a lot of time the past two podcasts. So thank you all for hanging there, hanging, hanging there with us. But to see DeMar walk out um, from that from that hospital 
that's, you know, hey, that's 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 a win win there. So, Jake, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that as well and kind of um, what that looked like for you. Oh, well, I thought it was incredible. And then the first play of the game for the Bills game, they, they take it back for six. And it, it's it, it was incredible. Honestly, I, I thought there was so much emotion there. I felt for the Patriots because on that day, no one was beating the Bills. So mm-hmm. the Patriots having to win to make the playoffs and everything worked out for them. They would have made it, but they literally had no chance. The, yeah. No one would have beaten them. I think the 49ers who probably could beat anybody right now, they're averaging like 28 points per game since they got Christian McCaffrey. They would have lost that game. Anybody that played the bills would have lost that game because of what they were playing for. And you could tell when the special teams gives you two touchdowns, they give you two touchdowns on the kickoff. Like, uh, no, yeah. like you, you weren't, you were not beating the bills. If Josh Allen had a bad day, someone else would have picked him up. It just, when I watched that game, it was like nothing, literally nothing <laughs> they could do about it. There yeah. was nothing. Patriots had no chance from the get go. And I feel for them, but at the same time, like, you won a lot of Super Bowls, like that fan base. I don't feel bad for. I just kind of feel bad for the guys, you know, the players that are playing, uh, like Anuche that didn't necessarily get a, a piece of that, or you know, the younger guys, Mac Jones included. Um, but I, I don't feel bad for the fans. But I just, I had to mention that because just seeing that happen and everything, that felt very powerful. And yeah. I also got to say, um, and this might be very controversial. So, so keep this in mind. <laughs> this might honestly. DeMar Hamlin might have united the country as much as it's been united since 9-11. Mm. Like, I've never seen that many people come together for something like that. Mm. I understand people would say COVID, and I don't necessarily say you're wrong, but in a different way. It wasn't mm. like a loving way. It was like everybody had, like, the same type of fear, you know? Because we didn't know. It just all of a sudden people were laughing about it. Like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. Then it became a big deal pretty quickly. Um this brought everybody together. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about your outlier trolls on the internet, but this literally brought a bunch of people together and I'm not in any way trying to discount how important nine 11 is and how awful it was. Um, I'm just saying the impact of it, bringing people together, it just shows you the power of sports and why it's not just that silly thing that you like, it's not just that silly hobby. It's not like it. it's meaningless. Um, you know, I think sports are very powerful. And, you know, I'll tell you, like losing, you know, my grandfather at the beginning of last year, uh, you know, when the Rams won and then the Kansas Jayhawks come back from the, the biggest deficit in NCAA title history to win that, that felt powerful to me. Like that mm-hmm. was something like, wow, this year kicked off horribly. Like I lost my grandpa. And just to like have that, I almost had it in the back of my mind. Like, I don't obviously feel like it's really that possible, but I was like, somehow my grandpa had something to do with them winning. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It just, it kind of gives you that. So with Hamlin, I just felt like everyone was cheering for him to get better. And so on Sunday, it was like, everyone was kind of rooting for the bills. Unless you're a Patriots fan. Sorry. (laughs) Everyone was rooting for the bills. You know, you wanted them to win at least that game for Hamlin, you knew he was watching, you know, it, it just, the whole thing really felt powerful. And 
finally, there's there, there was some good in the world. Obviously, I'm not not glad it happened. I would rather him not have to go through something so traumatic, Cam. Um, but the the silver lining of it all is that I think he really united a lot of people. And it's the, it's not just him getting hurt. It was the type of person who got hurt because you what he stood for before the injury, like that's the type of person he is. It was really easy, I think, for people to rally around a guy who just seemed really just so selfless in that moment. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it, right? Sports is the greatest equalizer. It brings everyone together like this moment did. And I think just the situation, I think people can relate to it, right? Everyone has a family member that their health is compromised. And it's like, we're praying that they make it through. They're praying that they get to the other side of this thing. And I think one of the broadcasters mentioned it is like a lot of times with stuff like this, with illness or with with bad health, we don't see it come out to a positive with a positive result. And we saw it turn out with a positive result for this one. And I think everyone can relate to it. You know, everyone has a story where a family member, you know, passed away from X, Y and Z. Um, we don't really have too many stories where family members beat, you know, a cancer or something that's like just insane. Maybe, but the fact with this is everyone felt like they had a family member that beat something tragic, right? With this, we all wrapped our arms around this sports story and we all won, essentially. We all won. Yeah. Um, everyone has a family member that's going to play sports, you know, and whether it be Wee or older, and they're going to get hurt. And we're going to hope that they rise up like DeMar Hamlin did. And I think that is the biggest, the biggest and the most um, important thing in sports, not the playoffs, it's DeMar Hamlin waking up and walking and moving along. And I think that, you know, that's probably the best moment in this in, in sports, I think, this year. Just seeing DeMar Hamlin go from one point to the other. And we all wrapped our arms around it. And, you know, the fact that they won, they deserved it. I mean, they need, you know, they needed that. And so um super yeah. happy for him and happy for the sports space because, Jake, this could be a, whole, a totally different conversation, Jake, right now, right? It could be sad where, ah, we don't know about DeMar. Like, it could be a totally different conversation. The fact that it isn't, the fact that it's positive, it makes it one of the better uh, moments for our for our sports community and for our country and for the world, really. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think this gives people hope that maybe you're fighting something or you know, you suffered an injury or maybe you're sitting there and not to diminish, you know, an injury, but an injury that's minor in comparison to this, this makes you, you know, this, this should give you kind of level you up, uh, keep your, you know, your spirits up and kind of give you that, uh, that emphasis, like, Hey, I can go through this. I can win this. I can mm -hmm. beat this, you know, and I can come back even stronger. And so, you know, I, I just think that it's really important and, you know, it's not just somebody that again, he got hurt. We feel bad. And so that's why, no, no, no. Because if this guy wasn't a good dude off the field, it's not like we would have, you know, not cared that he got hurt. We still would have been praying for him. But I don't think you have the same outreach. The fact that the last thing that was like on his Instagram was like his toy drive and giving back to kids. And just the fact that, you know, he had this, um, you know, this kind hearted nature. And when I mentioned a podcast or two ago, when I said like he only played at Pitt, like he stayed at Pitt because he wanted to be there for his brother, like just seems very unselfish. And so when you have unselfish people that are, you know, awe inspiring and, 
you know, just good, kind-hearted people, yes, people are going to root for you. I mean, that, people want good people to succeed. There's enough bad people succeeding all over the place, right? We want to see some good people succeed. DeMar's one of the good ones. And, you know, at just such a young age, I mean, he's three years younger than me, um, people like were like, this guy's a kid. Like, he's got so much to live for. We need him to get out of this. And so, yeah, just awesome. The NFL rallied around him, uh, but not just the NFL, sports in general, the fans. Um, pat yourselves on the back because I think this was the, this was really cool. No one can teach you how to react uh, mm-hmm. to something that you've never reacted from before. This was, I mean, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. So... This was unlike anything I've ever seen. And just the way people reacted, it was almost like they had already been in this moment. Um, I was really impressed. I thought the Bills handled it extremely well. I thought the Bengals handled it extremely well. I thought the reporters handled it extremely well. You know, because oftentimes they got to do their job, but you don't want to be invasive. And I just don't feel like anybody really made it about them. They always kept it about DeMar. And it was always about paying, you know, respects and, and, you know, being there in, in, you know, thoughts and prayers and not necessarily making you the story. I think everyone did a really nice job about that. And that's besides, not always the Besides case. Skip Bayless. He's the only one that gets the, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> the no, finger. No. But other than that, everybody else, well, fabulous job. There's probably way more than Skip Bayless. But, yeah, I, I, I hear you there. <laughs> I hear kidding, you there. Yeah. No, I, I agree. But I think, you know, the blanket statement, I think, is the majority of people – didn't make it about them. Yeah. Uh, they didn't make, you know, they, they were there for him. They were there for his family. They were there for the bills mafia. They were there for T Higgins. I thought he got a lot of support. That's a really tough position to be in. And, you know, I, I just, I, I love it, man. I, I hope he's able to play again. Um, but, you know, even if he's not, you just know he's going to impact the world in, in, you know, way more than he ever even thought he could do. Cause now he's got this platform. People, everyone knows who he is and he's not going to take that and be like, he's going to take that and give back. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So shout out to DeMar. I'm glad he's, he's up and moving. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll of course track his, his health, um, you know, and I know for our podcast, we're working on some ideas, you know, for the off season. So, you know, definitely want folks to stay tuned, locked in. Cause we still have some more Rams talk, some more football talk for you all. We'll have a lot of content, so don't go anywhere. I mean, <laughs> not this podcast. We're we're ending this podcast. But the next podcast and so forth, we'll have a lot more content. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate our friends over at Bet Online uh, who present this podcast as always. And uh, that's going to do it for Jake Allenbogen. He is Cameron Lynch. You can go follow him at Cameron Lynch 50. You can follow me at JK Bogan. You guys take care. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.